Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to some very unique and fascinating people with tremendous insights that will go and inspire us to chase the comedy, performers, whatever you name to call, performers' art streams, where we go out and we chase it on our own terms. Now, today's guest, well, she is, uh, you name it, she's done it. She's performed in some of the best, she's learned from some of the best theatre directors in the whole world. She has invented a whole genre of performing. She is an innovator. She's a, she's a maverick. She's a lady with tremendous pizzazz and charm. Please welcome the fantastic, all the way from Australia, Peter Lilly. <laughs> I've never had such a good introduction. Thank you, Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And I'm not in Australia today. I'm, I'm in London where I live, but born in Australia indeed. Yeah. I, I wanted to keep a bit of pizzazz for the, for the audience. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, yes, she's, she's from Australia, but she's living in London. <laughs> <laughs> basically just up the road yeah yes she 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 uh, her address is <laughs> uh well thanks for coming on peter lily i mean like t- tell us a bit about us and for anyone that's like hello marvin i want to find out about this proper sausage and mash lovely lady peter lily from australia <laughs> Like, how did you get into performing? And tell us a bit about your background. Uh, um, so, born in Australia, and I did, oh God, if you want to go deep childhood, um, <laughs> my parents loved Bordeville Theatre, and they used to go to this place called Theatre Royal. And uh, at one point, they'd even have the performers back at home. But I was tiny, you know. Uh, I remember being given a glass of fizzy drink and a biscuit and sitting out on the back steps and all the dancers were being there. But as a small girl, seeing music acts and comedy skits, remember the word skit? They used to kind of like do these comedy skits and um, this love that, uh, my mother had for live theatre and when, you know, when things go wrong, you know, she'd say that wasn't supposed to happen, you know, and that would be for her kind of the best bit. So that was lurking in the background. Um, and we, for some reason, had uh, these comedy records at home, including the wonderful Victor Borger. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. Have you heard of this guy? No, but it sounds. Tell tell us about him. He was. Uh, he lived in Denmark. Had to escape because of the Nazis. Came to this country. He was a concert pianist, but that was too boring for him. And so he did comedy, and he did comedy playing music. He'd play Happy Birthday backwards. He'd play Happy Birthday in the manner of Tchaikovsky, Chopin, all of this. But it was just pure clowning you know and I I wasn't even seeing it in those days I'd be sitting at home listening and and he'd, you'd hear him say clearly seating himself at the piano and then he'd go pardon my back and then he'd say pardon my front but that's the way I'm built <laughs> 
so anyway, all of that. Uh, and then at university, I they, they happened to offer that for the very first year, uh, a drama option that had a practical component to it. And uh, it was like, well, this is this this is it. Well, I'd actually I'd done a drama workshop when I was 17 and I thought, this is it. This is this is what makes sense to me. So I did a little bit of theatre acting and then came to the UK in my 20s and got into because uh, someone randomly uh, mentioned this mime class, started going to that. And um, mime was before there was physical theatre. There was nice. there was mime and people doing, you know, the very, very beginnings of dance theatre, the very, very, very beginnings of people like Deviate theater, uh, Dance Theatre Company. And suddenly we were, you were able to make your own work. I was able, I worked with two other women. So, and then from there, great opportunity to study with our, yeah, amazing practitioners, Yoshi Oida, who worked with Peter Brooks' company, um, Buto dancers, Sankai Juku and Natsu Nakajima and uh, Lecoq and Golier and Monica, the amazing Monica Pagno, this extraordinary, uh, she also worked with um, Peter Brook in, in movement. So, and yeah, was touring around the UK with a little company called Three Women Mime and then went solo in 1983 and did a lot of that and then also worked for other companies, um, so with bigger bigger companies. That's, yeah, I don't want to go on forever. But... So, yeah, so you, you studied a lot of your, I mean, so you mentioned that you were, you meant you studied with a lot of different people and like you mm. mentioned, so I mean, there's such a big list of names, but like out of all those names, I mean, of course, I've mentioned before, Boggs, with Golier, and you studied at Lecoq. But who, like, the common question is Lecoq and Golier very different. And then, who are out of the main teachers were your main influences? Like, out, who out of because you studied with so many people, but who are who are the main people that have influenced you? And you thought, my God, I got so much from this, and it's changed me as a performer. Um, you know, there, there, there were so many people. Uh, I just did a, a post on Facebook about Monica Pagno and she and other people are writing, oh God, she changed my life. So her influence was really huge. Uh, speaking in terms of comedy, um, I wasn't actually in Paris with Lecoq. Lecoq came to the UK and did his whole school himself in mini uh, ah. for the, it was called the British Summer School of Mime Theatre. So that was a huge privilege of, of working with him. Um, and we got access to everything, to Commedia and Clown. Uh, I, it, I didn't, it was terrifying doing Clown with Lecoq, but then Golier would tell you, he'd say, look at your friend, look at the audience, then answer. And I just went, this is it. These, these are the guidelines. This is, this makes it practical. This stops comedy being a mystery. Hmm. There are things you can do. So 
Uh, and then physically, so you asked me to mention one, but I'm, I'm mentioning three now, Teatro de Mouvement, who were dance and uh. mime, and they just this complete, if you could move anything in your body, they would move it. And it, they worked in a very organic way. They mixed in dance and they mixed in sports. So it that those yeah if you want me to narrow it down to three i'm gonna i'm gonna say those <laughs> what about the what about the what about the the nose the little red nose <laughs> no what about i mean so they taught you everything movement did they teach you a bit where oh. you could a little little eyebrow could have a big effect that was mine that was that was my <laughs> mind school is how to use how to use uh yeah how to really practice using your eyes to really, you know, point things out and mm, very, very powerful. <laughs> but you've, so it's, does it, does it feel a bit, because you study from so many different people and you combine the different disciplines into dark cloud, right? Did it feel like you were Indiana Jones? Like going on these different <laughs> adventures, and then you became like a scientist who's created a lethal weapon and put it together. <laughs> That's a really thank you for saying that. It's a lovely way of putting it. No, from from my point of view, it was the dark clown. If we're going to talk about dark clown now, that was an inspiration uh, that I got. I went to the ICA one night in London and saw this show, and there was one scene in this show that was so remarkable it was a very dark um piece of work but there was this one scene where there was someone performing singing and dancing looking at the audience in this desperate way and highly attentive way singing and dancing and hitting himself over the head with a metal tea tray and it was simultaneously hilarious and horrific mm. and we were laughing in the presence of his suffering. It wasn't a laugh at his suffering. We were laughing. We had that, because laughter is a release, right? We, we had that, normally when something awful's going on, you you shut up, you know, you clench. But we were able to go, oh, oh, this particular flavor of laughter that didn't take away any of the, the truth and the horror of this person who was in a, a state of oppression, who was in a very difficult, horrible situation. And that inspired me. And I, I became um, intrigued by it, compelled by it. And by, by now I'm, I was already teaching clowning. And at the end of every clown class, every workshop that I gave, I'd say, do you want to try a little experiment? And I would try exercises to aim to get this, this quality of laughter again and to try and emulate what I thought I was seeing. And I would say, well, he it, it looked quite extreme what he was doing. Um, you know, can you try and do something? Yeah, can you do something extreme? And and then I realized that wasn't quite it. And then I realized this thing of the fact that it was someone who's being forced to perform in that instance. And that the audience are there, there's no fourth wall. And, and this person, and so the audience, so, I mean, we know we're an audience, but it's like we're, oh, my God, we're, we're not helping. We're, we're, we, you, you don't think this logically. You don't think it in words, but you're there in the presence of this thing 
that you're a spectator to, you know, so that thing when awful things are happening and you can't do anything about it. Okay. But here at least you you can laugh. And to answer the second bit of your lovely question, um, it then became a practice of defining what it wasn't. You know, people would ah. come and they would want it to be scary clown, stabby clown, it, you know, or they, they, there'd be a movie and they'd say, it, you know, oh, he's, I find this very dark clown. And I'm like, yeah, you know, great. It's interesting. Uh, it's not what I, it's not what I teach when I just use the, yeah, I just grab that out of the universe. I just grab dark clown to make a quick distinction from regular clowning or red nose clowning or the cock star clowning. And uh, so it was, that was where I started to uh, write and explain and you know in blog posts and things like that that to really articulate it what am I doing here you know so that I could let people know now this is what you're in for so I read a bit of your article and some of it is similar to what I sometimes see in stand-up in that sometimes they go through if so, some of the great stand-ups they talk about something that can be very dark and what they do is they talk about something that's troubling and painful, but it's at the end where they tell the punchline, which releases the tension. And everyone laughs. I get the feeling you mentioned something about dark clown, like um, talking about, as you said, the painful things or dark things. And in some ways, does that follow the structure in different bits in where you play around a bit and then you find the bit it's dark and it's horrible, but you find a bit that releases the tension. But instead of it being a well-crafted line, it's through a well-crafted play or awareness of seeing what's happening and then creating something. Yeah, I I had to, I was already fascinated by, um, I'm just gonna write something down because <laughs> I, I'm gonna talk about that too. But um, I, I've always loved laughter and laughing. So anything I could learn about how laughter was generated, I started to collect collect these things together. And, I, and then, of course, once I started doing The Dark Clown, I was going, okay, so, yeah, you need this bit of comedy craft in order to, so we're, we're in a dark context, but you need to get the audience um, pre-prepared for laughter. I talk about priming the laughing gear. Oh, okay. So each little each little beat is is there to create the conditions for laughter, uh, so that when uh, there's a clear point, uh, a laugh will be released, and then hope and the aim with the dark clown work is that people will feel conflicted about it, think about it afterwards maybe. Um, you know, it's, it's it's not a complete perfect science. I mean, there was a moment I did in 2000 in Hong Kong. They invited me. They said, will you come and do a dark clown show with us? And I was like, I don't. Wow. Well, yes, because up until then, people had said, could you make a show of dark clown? And I was like, I don't know. I said, it's pretty dark. <laughs> and then in the year 2000 um, in Hong Kong, this uh, little theater company said, no, will you come and do it for us? So then I crafted this show. And there was one scene where I thought, well, in this scene, that's pretty awful. The audience are going <gasps> to gasp. But 
the audience had there'd been enough the you know how comedians say get the audience in the habit of laughing yes uh, when you're emceeing or something you start off with a joke so they get used to the yeah and and I've heard comedians describe like call and response so you know good evening Wembley you, you make a noise I say something else you make it you're having a good time you make a noise so I've heard I can't remember who it was describing it as this call and response thing and you set that in motion and um so there was this one moment in the show which was called Hamlet or Die and this awful thing happened and people laughed because the laughter is physiological and people's laughing gear as I like to call it the diaphragm the lungs the you know the eyes that the mouth were all ready and this laugh came out and then that's a whole interesting thing because we laugh for many different reasons hmm. and we often focus on the fact well we laughed because it was funny but there's the laugh of recognition the laugh of shock the laugh of we don't ah, just this sound comes out of you um uh, and we laugh because it's physiological. Uh, so that's one thing. And then um, just uh, on a slightly different angle, I was listening to a podcast, you know, Scroobius Pip has a podcast called Distraction Pieces. He's a musician and a, okay. kind of like a spoken word poet. And he's got this podcast and he had Daniel Sloss the young Scottish yeah, stand-up. Yeah, and and together they were talking about that thing because Daniel really talks, he, he describes in his shows this thing about the darkness needing, needing the laughter. Otherwise, you, you're just yeah. blocked with it and you go, you know, it's not healthy. And him owning the dark things in his life and... and uh, he he and Scroobius Pip were talking about this thing about they're laughing and then there's the moment when they're not laughing and they're laughing again when you're shifting gears in in a stand-up routine or in a, a show like in a dark clown show so you, the audience don't quite know where they're going and then you know like that they're either feeling oh and then you make them laugh or they've just laughed and then you make them go oh and they said this beautiful thing. I can't remember whether it was uh, Daniel or, or Scroobius Pip who said it, but they said it's the fact that you're in an audience and going through these emotions in community that's very powerful. Mm. Um, so it's like a process thing. It's not a, do you know what I mean? It's not, and that equals this. But just so, that there's something about that that... Um, it's the gift that theatre and, you know, good good stand-up and good storytelling gives us, isn't it? It's some kind of process for us as a physiological entity and ideally as, as an audience. It's a bit, so this is something that's completely different. It's a completely out there comparison, but as a comedian, you know, I try and build my social media presence and a lot of performers try and do that. And as some of the excerpts on it they say when you're trying to get someone hooked in your video you've got to get a strong emotional reaction like it's either got to be shock it's either got to be oh this that's i didn't expect that oh it's got to be happiness or it's got to be disgust you got to and what you mentioned there is a bit you take them on a ride so it's like a journey yeah 
Yeah, um, at a, at a very okay. sorry, sorry, someone's just texted me. Put <laughs> push my phone away. At a at a very benign level, uh, when I'm teaching, I when I teach dark clown, I always teach it on a course that's called clown and dark clown, because we have to go in via clown. Because I'm going to teach comedy craft, and and when we go into dark clown, people are <laughs> sorry uh, for people who are just listening. I, I did some kind of sounds of panic or anxiety. We're we're, we're playing with um, sound and movement uh, in 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 ways that are more tense than than you might do normally. So I can't teach the comedy craft while people are trying to do that at the same time. So. <clears throat> Uh, one of one of the early things I do is I'll find a, a, a teaching moment or there's one exercise where I usually do it. And I talk about one of the prime ingredients of comedy is contrast. Yeah. Man was walking along. He he, he trips, you know, and then he's it's, so it's an event. So that's the very simplest level of what you were saying you know have a shock really really put them through something um so i i think it can be big or small but yeah that that oh, something something changing is it's just like a very basic uh but very um whatever I integral to comedy I think what I was saying, well, what was it really clear? Yeah, yeah, effectively, it takes you on a journey where you go through a string of emotions up and down like a roller coaster, and you're not bored. You're always surprised. Yeah, yeah, surprise. Su surprise is a kind of contrast, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. and surprise is the mild form of shock. So, um, you know, with the red-nosed clown, it it turns around at a moment that you don't expect, or it does a little jump at the moment you don't expect. Um, so that surprise. And then dark clown, you might suddenly <laughs> let out a scream uh, at a moment that, that is going to <laughs> really hit the audience. So the surprise and shock are the same thing that with different magnitude, would you say? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I, now this is going to lead into another question. This is Great. probably a question you've asked had loads of times and probably you're like, oh, not this again. But the question that anyone that's involved in clowning is, and people so many give many definitions of it. What is, do you feel is your definition of clowning and how does that differ to dark clown? I know you mentioned it before, but in your own cool. words. Um, yeah. Because you would know, wouldn't you, Marvin? That nowadays there's so many books coming out on clown. Um, it's it's beautiful. A lot of people are writing about it. Currently, <clears throat> and a lot of people are saying it's so hard to define, which is true. Uh, currently, uh, I like to say that the clown. I'm talking about the red-nosed clown, for example. Uh, for, um, uh, because there are many like indigenous forms of clowning and all of that that I'm not trained in, but just talking about clowning as in the lineage that I inherited via Lecoq and Gaulier. Um, <clears throat> uh, that the clown, we look at them and we go, they're, they're an idiot, you know, they're, they're wearing the wrong clothes or they walk funny or, you know, they're not quite normal. They're, or or they're almost cartoon, you know, they're not 
they're not quite human. But in fact, the the clown has all the humanity that we, when we're in what I call sad normal mode, try to hide. So uh, the clown has all the micro emotions. You know, when you're going down the street and you're, I don't know, you 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 realized you didn't put your oyster card in the right pocket, and you know, you all those thousands of emotions of oh god damn, you know, I'm an idiot. Um, you know, oh the people are pushing me from behind. You know, just all those emotions. The clown would show them all, all the tiny thoughts and all those tiny pros processes, and that's the generosity of the clown. It does that so that the sad normals can go, oh, you know, thank God that's not me. Or maybe, oh, my God, deep down I know, <laughs> I know that's how I really am like, you know, sad normals. Um, and the other thing I like to say is that the red-nosed clown, ideally, and no teaching statement is ever true. You know, no, no statement in words is ever true, really, 100% of the time. But... Um, uh, Potentially, ideally, conceptually, the clown comes on stage into an empty space and creates magic with the audience. But of course, you know, if you're Slava Palloon and you've got sets, you've got costumes, you've got all of that. But but in every little beat that Slava Palloon, who's the Russian clown that did the show called The Snow Show, which has been many times to the UK, um, in every little beat of it, it looks like it's being fresh woven his relationship with the audience. So red-nosed clown, okay, are you ready for this? Um, I'm, I, I'm gonna talk for a little bit longer, sorry. It feels like a monologue, I'm sorry. No, say it. Um, dark clown, okay, what what makes it different? Red-nosed clown is, is like, you just kind of unmask. We often think about someone who's acting that they build um they build a character they've got the history of the character they've got the clothing of the character they've got all that and Golier used to say clowning's not acting but of course many drama schools now they realize the benefit the clowning has for actors but I always say dark clown you you need all the things you learn from clown the relationship with the audience the attention to yourself the rhythms you're making the the ability to actually see your fellow performers to sense the moment you're using all of that um and at the same time you're also using acting but no one needs to have gone to drama school when i say acting i just mean that normal human ability to pretend and what we do in dark clown is we pretend in a specific set of circumstances that are awful or really difficult, like having to make an impossible choice or having done something irrevocable. And, and, mm. and then you get into this state. It's very quick. One of the things I use is a, a sentence called, I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. You say that to yourself three times. And because of the autonomic system, you know, the body doesn't know the difference between thoughts and reality. You can very quickly get into, um, a quality, uh, a texture of emotion. <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't have done it. Um, so, so, uh, and here's the other thing. And here's where they're the 
the same but different i'm drawing a line which no one can see because this is a sound podcast not a <laughs> i'm drawing a horizontal line which only marvin can see and uh, on, on with my right hand if this is red nose clown and on the other end of the line if that's dark clown so if the red nose clown is there to express all the human emotions generally we expect silliness playfulness enthusiasm stupidity loveliness grumpiness you know uh, maybe even moments of anger and rage from the red-nosed clown, but then the dark clown extends that into dread, horror, anxiety, intense, sorry, I'm laughing, intense physical pain, existential dread, r- regret, uh, you know, the, the, these, these much darker emotions. Mm. So it's a bit like in a soap or something. You see an EastEnders and the and the, the girl says, "Oh, I should have slept with his brother." Sort of thing. Yeah. Well, no, no, that's it's nothing a, that's like a, that. But I get it. Yeah, nothing like that. Yeah, that's get really it, get it, melodrama. It. But yeah. No, I, I get it. It's effectively clown is the sides of us that's stupid, embarrassing, whilst um, dark clown is the darker side of us that we all have that we want to hide from people. That's... Yeah. Or the things that we fear, we really hope that we're never going to be, for example, trigger warning, uh, mention of torture, that we're never going to be tortured, you know? So there's a dark clown scenario where two clowns are are forced to, each one has to choose the torture for the other. Oh, that sounds good. I want to watch that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, if you really think about that, it's like the horror of being put in that situation, the horror at being looked at while you make that decision, the horror that you know it's going to alternate. So whatever you say to them, they're going to say something equal or worse to you. Mm. The, the horror that if you don't say something bad enough because you're in like a kind of you have a lot of the, um, not all, but a lot of the dark clown scenarios are kind of set in an imaginary torture realm, which which is based upon things that actually happen in terrible places, like <clears throat> Pol Pot regime, concentration camps, things. These things have actually happened, sadly, and are still happening in history. But we don't bring that into the room, yeah, because that's we'll never, you know, we, we take it into an imaginary place. We, we treat it like absurd theatre. Imagine a, a torture realm where prisoners are brought out of their cells and forced uh, to perform before an audience, that kind of thing. So, yeah, just to have that, those moments of suffering and we see the 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 eyes of the dark clown player going through all these emotions of habit, you know, of dread and horror and yeah. Anyway, was that clear? <laughs> no, no, I got it. I got it. So with one of the things that I found always interesting with stand up when they're developing a show, it's one of the things that, that I got from one of the guests on the podcast is Mr. C. He says, when you're doing comedy, you've got to treat it like you're a lifelong partner and you've got to keep it fun and exciting so that you go and you don't treat it like a job and you don't make it lifeless. And with Clown, a lot of times, once you've found a bit, 
that works when you try and create a bit like it's written it don't work how does that sort of when you're doing a dark clown show how do you like once you've played and you found bits that work how do you continue to um what do you find how do you recreate it and keep adding it until it produces a show without it mm-hmm. you delivering it lifeless exactly you know it's the same problem for actors and stand-ups and i mean stand-ups so they do this beautiful thing where they they're talking anecdotally and then they'll do a thing where they go oh what do you call it and all of that is completely scripted in yeah so so you have to emulate an idea just occurring to you in the moment so you you have to get really good at managing yourself managing your own energies vocal timbre rhythms etc but you have to have this awareness of the moment of the audience of the acoustics of the room of the last thing that you just did of how much they last last time whether or not you slipped up with your tongue three lines back you you've got to be ready to sense whether the new, the next beat that you're going to do needs to be inflected in a different kind of way because conditions in the room have changed or whether you made a failure and somehow you've got to make good and so cultivating that awareness is key in practice how you fix it in the moment is guesswork <laughs> <laughs> like most of life you know scientists you know they oh we've done all our research and we think this will you know anyone who's in innovating you know you, you just kind of go i think it's this i think i'm going to try this and this is the beauty of clown i'm going to try this and if you have your wherewithal about you and if that fails then then it's an i always say that failure is an opportunity to share your humanity with the audience that's yeah that's but it's a funny thing in it with most of the things that you try out probably won't work but you only need a couple of things to work out for it to for it to be great yeah yeah what do you do? what do you do how do you refine moments how do you refresh yourself in that same scenario you asked me about what in it in terms of what context um, um you're delivering something you've delivered before and how do you how do you keep it fresh each night that's that's the million dollar question that's that's as as you mentioned earlier yeah i think that's 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 a very difficult thing i mean i know that one comic uh he's also improviser his name is i've forgotten his name now sam something but yeah he says when he does a bit he tricks his body into thinking it's something new oh nice or he would change it like if he's He'll, he'll change the order of the joke he'll change the he'll change the way he says it just little things to trick the body and is that similar to what you do i mean what's an example of where you've been in a play you've created some a little bit where you've figured something that's worked and you've you've figured out how to recreate it um well 
and keep it fresh. Yeah. I... I think about, you know, like you kind of bounce, bounce up your energy. If it needs, you know, if that's what it needs, it needs to bounce up. I think about what I'm doing with my energy. It doesn't need to bounce up. Do I need to leave a micro gap? Do I need to say it like that? Do I need to just deliver it nice and flat? So I've, I, I've got different textures that I can go to. And also wherever possible, calm yourself down you know go right down <laughs> drop down into the hara even if you're looking high energy up here you're working with the that lower energy center that they use in martial arts and 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 from that place tr try and draw on the inspiration of the moment the in the intuition of the moment but i tell you one thing that usually when i'm performing <laughs> keeps things fresh for me is that because uh, I'm about to perform live in February. I haven't performed for a number of years now, but you can count on it that I will get some, I will forget something, I'll get it wrong, or I'll flip it. I'll, you know, I do prepare my mouth, but I'll, the, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make a mistake in saying a word and fluff a line. And um, often that gets a huge laugh. I, I did it in a show and I said, and the, the final, the, the line that, that should have got the laugh was, and you know how I like those good grades, but I kind of muffed it, you know, you know how I like those good grades. And then, and then I said, oh, I just told them, I said, oh, I muffed that, you know, bam. You know, it's terrible when you muff the punchline. And then I just kept like going, good grades, good grades. And the audience were laughing. I said, no, it's too late now. Just, um, I think the other thing is, Loving, it's going to sound sentimental. I don't mean it in a sentimental way. Loving the audience more than you love yourself, if you can. Or tricking yourself. Entertaining the thought that, that their experience is more important than your experience. And no one can achieve it 100% of the time. Or can you? I don't know. But you change your perspective. What do you think about that? It's making you think, Marvin. <laughs> it's it's. It, well, that's one of the things why I like doing comedy. I enjoy that feeling of making people laugh. Like I'm I'm not doing it for me. I like to I like to have fun with the audience. Yeah. That's that's. I think it's what you said there is. No, that's that. That's with anything. Is you are doing a service for other people. It's not about. It's not about what you said there is about people who go into performing arts for the wrong reasons are the ones that go in for the right reasons. Am I right there or, or is that getting a bit dodgy? I'm saying. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are some people who are huge egotists who are hugely successful. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, so we, we can't we can't judge. It's just one's personal it's... take on it. But it makes it a lot more fun for you to have that attitude. And for me, for me personally, it's it's yeah, I find it more fun to interest myself in the audience. Yeah. 
everything we're saying is an opinion. It's not like the oh, Bible sure. or rules or anything. I no mean, one's going to come and take me away. No one's going to, you know. There's someone there now, okay? There's... <laughs> Knocking on the door. She said, you said this on the podcast. It's wrong. But I, I, I yeah, I, there are lots of people. I, I, I agree with that sentence in terms of your, is that, it's about putting people before yourself or before me. I think it helps. It helps. Does it take the pressure off you where you're not focused on yourself and more focused on them? Yeah. Do you, I, I, does that help with your performing rather than get into your own shell and get tense and, oh, I've got to do this. If you think more about them, it relaxes you and it seems a bit more. Yeah, you've just got to, you've got to troubleshoot where the problem is. So if you if you found you've gotten tense, you know, you've had a peek behind the curtain and you see someone that you're convinced is that person that doesn't like you, then you might have to use some tools that really, you know, do something about yourself. You might have to use a different technique. Like I shine a light so bright, everyone's dazzled and they can't even see me. You know, it's not true, but it's a very effective technique. So you, if you can identify what your problem is and, and yeah, it, it, I think different moments need different strategies. But over, overall, um, it's this, what I said before, the clown comes on and makes magic with them for the audience. It's just like having, having your attention on, on what that is, what that dance is in between you and them. So some of what we, what I said there hasn't been clear, but one of the things I notice with stand up sometimes is when they're doing bits that they've done so many times before, because they're so focused on the words, it, it distracts them from seeing what gold there is in the situation of the audience. And it's something that um, Carlo, do you know Carlo from Gaudier? No. But he's Carlo, wanted, no. He, he gave a little, when I was doing clown, he gave me something that worked quite well. So, so as I do a lot of stand-up, sometimes I get too focused on the words or saying the funny thing rather than being what's in the situation. Yeah. And so an exercise that he gave me was to just speak in a language I don't know and perform. Yeah and to take words completely out of the situation. So you focus on what's there or what's happening rather than what you think is funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. What, what I'm saying, what, that's, that's what you said there in terms of think, putting the audience before you allows you to focus on the moment. Sometimes as a stand-up, because we're so focused on the words, we, we're not able to do that. We're focused too much on saying the right thing, whatever, but we don't see what the gold is in front of us. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I, get, go on. Well, if there's, I see it sometimes, if they're mm. focusing, oh, they, they're trying to focus on saying the perfect punchline at a certain time, they mm. can miss out on some weird situation, like someone could have slapped the other person, you could have commented on that and made that really funny. Yeah. Obviously, I'll kick the person out if they did that. But it's they, 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 it's funny with Goliath. They have so many stand-ups going into it. In some respects, they're they're different and very similar at the same time. Mm. 
do you get my drift on that or, or are you like what the hell is he on about <laughs> um uh the, well that stand-ups are, are, are similar to clowns i mean anyone who, one of the things as a clown teacher one of the prime things i'm doing all the time is getting people out of their heads i that and that's that's because of the writing sometimes stand-ups fall into that exactly but, well, I, I'm taking your word for it because you're, you're much more in that world than I am. And the other thing is when I'm working as I was last night doing a course which is more theatre-based, it's the same thing. I do everything I can so that if you've got text to deliver, by all means say the words clearly, but don't let the words beguile you. Have your attention on your body so that the same words can come out in all sorts of different ways. So know the text, but ha but don't go up into your head. You know, you've got to marry together your awareness of yourself, your awareness of people, and, and hopefully let the words be responsive to that. But then sometimes you might go, I absolutely need to do this, leave a gap, and then say that. So you got to you got to do it all, Marvin. No one said comedy was easy. No, 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 no one did. But but it's it's there we get this. I mean, Philip Gurley often says that whatever idea you have on stage before you go on is often stupid. But then again, sometimes if you don't have any plan of things, it, you're going to go nowhere. I know. It's it's the rule and it's the breaking of the rule, you know. So uh, I can see when I'm teaching clown, I can see when someone is ahead of themselves in the moment and they're thinking about what they're going to do next or they've got this idea and they think this is going to be genius, right? And it's stopping them being in relationship to the audience. Like you say, they're missing these golden moments. They're not noticing what their friend is doing. They're not noticing the audience. They're not noticing, yeah. Um, uh, and then on the other hand, someone can come in completely lit up by this stupid idea, but for some reason, their, their skin is like tasting the moment or their enthusiasm is so uh, communicable to the audience that, that, you know, so it's the same thing. Having an idea of what you're going to do can either be a really great thing or a really bad thing, depending how you're doing it. There's yeah, a rule and the breaking of the rule. There's something I wanted to say, but I've forgotten it. Give me I'm one moment. I'm so sorry. Let's have, <laughs> let's have that pause that you feared, the dead air. Let's pause, no. <laughs> the dead, with no one speaking. Yeah. Here it is. Um, what, so as a, as a teacher, as well as a performer, how does that sort of help? And how does that, in some ways, yeah, how does that help? Do you feel as, as a, you're, you're as a teacher there, you teach clown. How does that help you when you're a performer as well? Does that? Do you see the mistakes that you're making in other people and then you, you you change that or what's 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 the story? I really like that question. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I thanked you earlier for when we were off before we were on air about having sent the questions in the advance. Um, I, it's not so much about, you know, seeing their mistakes particularly, but the, the gift to me is that when I'm teaching a class, I'm doing everything I can to keep the conditions in the room, uh, 
ready for, for comedy. I'm doing everything I can to keep everyone ready to laugh and have a good time. So I'm telling a lot of stupid teacher jokes. I'm doing things that lower my status. I'm allowing for success as well as failure. Uh, and, and that agility, anytime I demonstrate an exercise, I do a few impro exercises uh, when I'm teaching. And, and if, I, if I have to speak spontaneously, I really make it a rule that I don't just use made up examples, that I just speak spontaneously in the moment, just let, you know, text come out. So I, I find those things really valuable. Those are the, for me, the crossovers to performer, keeping, you know, keeping my timing, delivering, you know, the jokes, keeping my ability when someone asks a question halfway through something that was going to come into a nice teaching point or teaching joke and how I manage that, but keeping me flexible, keeping me uh, in a place where I've got awareness and energy. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I could look, yeah, I think that was, I think those are the sorts of things. But there's, there's a theory that goes that when you teach someone something, it helps mm -hmm. you as a performer and how much, what, what elements of that do you feel aid with yourself as a performer as you do, you're on both sides of the fence rather than on one or the other? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I do. I mean, I, I certainly, um, some of the, some of the performers I've seen, I, I get inspired by them. Some, you know, some people doing shows rather than, uh, when I'm teaching, I've got such a particular, I'm looking to see what's missing. What, what isn't right yet? What's missing? How can I help this person? How can I help them stay in the moment? But if you're talking about me improving my own craft, I watch a lot of stand-up comedy and I think a lot about beautiful clown performers like uh, a woman called Lucy Hopkins who did this show that just blew me away, really. The, the simplicity and the authenticity authenticity and the magic that she created in the room was really quite something I doubt I'll ever make a show <laughs> like that that uh, uh yeah it's it's inspiring watching other people yeah it's so it's so with Lucy Hopkins she's one of she's one of the people that you admire yeah. you said the authenticity and creativity but who who is who are non-comedians and perhaps non-clowns that you admire uh, what non-clowns that are damn it you didn't put that question in no I, sometimes some i just thought i'd first throw it in there non-clowns and non-comedians that i admire yeah in in life yeah uh I would say, oh, Brene Brown just popped into my head. <laughs> Anyone who can tell me anything that's useful, Brene Brown's "Be awkward, brave, and kind." Brave, awkward, brave, and kind, really useful. And the fact that she made vulnerability 
I'm using sexy in that kind of popular way. She made vulnerabilities sexy. Thank you, Brene. Oh. You know. Uh, yeah. Uh, so many people. I admire, I admire teachers who have, there was early, early days in Australia and we'd all had an audition process and we were all sitting in the room and the director looked around the room and he called us each, he looked in our faces and called us each by our names. And I was deeply impressed. I just thought, wow. And over the years, you know, I've thought about it. He, he made community. He made himself accessible to us in that moment. He created trust in that moment. Um, that was a, a deeply impressive thing, or technically still in the realm of theatre. It wasn't clown or comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and who, who were... One of the things that I find quite interesting is it's always, whenever I ask this question, like who people admire as comedians or people in their own field, it always surprised me what people come up with. So you mentioned mm. already Lucy Hopkins, but now back to the question I sent over. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, which which sort of clowns and comedians would you say you admire not only for being damn good at their craft but also for their creativity for me uh the best stand-up performance i've seen is probably from louis ck it was Ooh, he's up. a dodgy man he is a he's he obviously as a person he's not my cup of tea and i'll keep him away from any daughter i have but um, he's very good at his craft. That's the one thing about him. He's incredibly good at his craft. Like I watched some other specials, two hours, they felt forever. But with him, incredible. Felt like 10 minutes. Yeah. Who do you want, clowns or comedians? Both. Like, just give a couple of names that you feel of brilliant and also inventive. Uh... I've mentioned Lucy Hopkins, Petra from Spy Monkey. She is just um, untrammeled in her in her clown expression. There's a man called Jamie Wood who's also um, as works as a clown in hospital situations, but his shows create such community in the audience. He did a show about Yoko Ono, and he did another show about. Um, called Beating McEnroe. It was about, it was basically about him and his brother and co competition. So uh, that admired them very much. Um, uh, I, I saw a beautiful show recently with two Spanish performers, Merce Ribo and Patricia Rodriguez, who made a show about uh, how they couldn't make a show about waiting for Godot because they were women. And that was directed by Ursula Martinez. And that was amazing. Moving on to stand-up. And, and there's loads of people that I'm not mentioning. Sorry to people that I'm not mentioning that, that haven't, you know, just sort of been in my brain recently enough. Hannah Gadsby. <laughs> Hannah Gadsby. Come on. You know, deconstructed comedy. And also, you know, if you see her shows, but also I, I, I listened to the book Ten Steps to Nanette, where she talks about, describes what she did um, that made flawless comedy and also it had a therapeutic value for her a transformative thing um 
James Acaster. Hmm. His, what was that thing where he did the one, two, three, four thing? Repertoire. Repertoire. And I just really like that. I like the way he structured it by using sort of scathing and mundane things. Uh, not scathing, but he using sort of mundane things and sort of slightly surreal things and then coming in to make these like really devastating points about Brexit. Um, really admire that. Daniel Sloss, because, you know, he thinks and describes what's happening with comedy as well as telling his stories. Um, Josie Long, I, I loved, I saw a show of hers ages ago where she said, make your weakness your strength. So someone who's using like a philosophical stance and, and still being funny, Hassan Minaj, very daring. Um, oh, and I love, oh, what's his name? Ah, uh, he, he did um, a show called uh, Asian Comedian Destroys America. I thought I felt for sure I'd written his name down. He just, Bo Burnham, Bo, but Ronnie Cheng, Ronnie Cheng. Uh, he's done two shows, very political, but hilarious. Um, Aziz Ansaro. I like people who cross genres. Aziz stand up and then he, he made that whole comedy series and uh, really putting forward, um, you know, de dealing with issues to do with race and, and, you know, people of global majority. Really, really brilliant. Uh, Bo Burnham. Uh, amazing again deconstructs um and then the, the the amazing old people like Joan Rivers Phyllis Diller and I love um the career of Trixie Mattel drag queen um songwriter performer stand-up comedian I admire their work ethic I will never <laughs> achieve like like she achieves but um they're, yeah they're a great inspiration to me and if someone's sitting here right now mm. and i don't know if if they were the younger peter lily and they were listening to you right now and they were like peter give me some advice what would you say to them oh god <laughs> <laughs> Well, when I look back, uh, I I always feel like the big important things that have happened to me have happened by accident. So, so I remember earlier life, like going, how how can I how can I move forward in life? How where am I meant to be? How can I achieve? How can I? And I would say. Uh, go with your impulses, you know, read widely, watch widely, do widely, uh, just stop, uh, you know, stop worrying about that there's some magic formula, just kind of go with the go with the impulses this book attracts me i'll read that that i want to see that and 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 just allow those things to build in a crew so saying that 
if you're looking for a magic answer to everything, there isn't one. <laughs> Life is a journey and you're never going to have the answers to everything. Yeah. 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 And enjoy it as you learn rather than try and be so fixated on trying to find the result. Just enjoy that you're learning and having a ride rather than taking it all too seriously. Yeah. And the, the, the miserable, bit, miserable bits, you know, I swear to you, you will look back and you will go one day, oh, my God, I'm so glad that happened. And if you haven't made that step, if anyone's out there, you know, harboring a great grudge, and it's not to say I don't have a couple of my secret grudges you know, <laughs> lurking away that I, you know, polish up and, you know, keep them nice and <laughs> nice and alive. But as best you can, if you can just really just go, there's a reason for everything, you know, because then you're in a, a position of moving forward. So if, if you come across anyone that's done you over, shake the hand and say, thank you for the lesson. Yeah, thank you for the, the lesson. And uh, I release my resentment. I've, I've, I learned that phrase recently. I release my resentment. Go on. <laughs> but you don't have to always hang out with them. Just just don't no. harbour the, the, the bitterness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just let it go find more wiggle room. There's, there's plenty more room for you in other directions yeah and that'll probably upset them <laughs> well who knows I don't <laughs> that's up to them <laughs> it's up to them <laughs> now if anyone's listening in here i know that so you mentioned the fact that you have a, a drag character called um parker I, d yeah parker d what what led to Parker D and how do they find out about Parker D and like yeah tell us about uh, Parker D thank you for asking um well during uh COVID which is as we know it's sort of kind of ongoing but during lockdown time and all that uncertainty and all that horror uh I watched a lot of drag that was like, you know, that, yep, that's what kept me going. Uh, and a lot of other things as well, but, you know, just, and so it was kind of there, it was in the air. And then on Facebook, I saw uh, there's a number of my Facebook friends who have drag king characters and, uh, you know, just looking at them with admiration and, and seeing them evolve their characters with, with you know, makeup and uh, just, uh, you know, what what their names are, what their, what their, what their clothing is like. And, uh, and I don't know, I can't explain it, Marvin. It was just like, oh, mm, yeah, maybe that. Like I say, accidents, these impulses come up. And I thought, yeah. Ordered a pink wig from the evil Amazon um, and mucked around one night with um, with some makeup and it 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 was just a way to say something. I I worked for many years with uh, telling my own stories. I made several autobiographical shows, and now is not the time for uh you know white feminists <laughs> it's just like i was no 
you know, let's let's not. White woman talks about problems that happened in her life. You know, it's just no. So uh, I don't know if I've done any better with Parker D. He's, uh, but I had lost, I'd I'd lost the impulse. I'd lost the. I didn't know what my voice was. I didn't know what my voice should be. And as I started to think about this drag king and started to invent a name for them and I started writing spoken word first of all and it, it it's just like it's just like opening a tap you know you you turn on the tap and you allow the first few drops through and then it just it just builds you know if that's the thing you're meant to be doing I'm not saying it's a clever thing <laughs> I'm not saying it's a brilliant thing, but it's what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. But what what if what if you need to call the plumber? <laughs> I have had to call the oh the, the, the plumber for too much. Well, uh I mean I've I've written 14 songs, maybe more. So there was a moment where it did feel quite overwhelming. I was going, I've got all this this material and no out let you know oh and my um this wonderful friend of mine who who was interested enough for me to come and experiment uh in his flat and he would film it as a kind of way of so it's not just one-on-one -on -one, it's this objective uh thing that you've got you've got it heightens your your mojo to perform if you're being filmed and mm. then because i had this footage um, my friend very generously uh, shared the footage with me. Uh, I had a friend very generously, who's a, he's a very good uh, filmmaker and film editor, and he put together the first two videos for Parker D. And like you say, like, oh, the tap won't switch off. I've got all this material. And then I just had to put my nose to the grindstone and teach myself how to edit on iMovie because the guy that did the first two videos is very busy and he, he couldn't do a lot more. So yeah, at the moment it's okay. The tap is fine. Thank you. The tap can stay on. I'm not flooded yet. Plumbing's <laughs> <laughs> a sore point though, because I've, I've really, I'm having difficulty getting a plumber to, to, to fix uh, my kitchen tap, but hopefully, hopefully one day soon that's going to be sorted. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And for anyone that's like saying right now, like, yo, dog, like, how do I find out about Peter? How do I find out about them? How do I, how do I go and watch a show? How do I get to learn of Peter? How do I, how do I get the phone number of Peter? <laughs> Thank you. I hope, I hope they will, because uh, whenever I talk about Dark Clown, I, th I find, oh my God, am I being so pedantic, you know, and just <laughs> explain it with great detail. So if you are still listening, people, um, uh, to come to me, Peter Lilly, P-E-T-A-L-I-L-Y dot com. On that website, you will find information about shows I've done in the past, um, information. There's uh, I've listed Parker's stuff there. Um, and 
you can join my mailing list. There's a sign up form to the mailing list at the bottom of any page of the website. You just have to scroll down. You have to persist a bit with the scrolling on some of the pages. And there's a blog if you're interested in reading. I write about clown. I write about solo theatre making. I write about other things. So um, sometimes people like looking at the blog. And Parker D, please have a look um, on YouTube. He's Parker D. King because Parker D. was taken. Parker wow. D. King. And on Instagram, he's Parker D. King. And I think on Facebook, he's just Parker D. Ooh, I should know, but there you go. Okay, so he's the king of all the Parker D's. He's he's a king. He's a king among men. He's, yeah. And there's, a yeah, like I say, there's about... I think there are 12 or possibly 14 videos up there now. You might like some of them better than others. You might like, might not like any of them, but uh, have a look. So is he, is he on Grindr or is he on Tinder? <laughs> um, <laughs> Parker, Parker talks a lot about his girlfriend. <laughs> um, and and Parker's really trying to be a better man, uh, Marvin. So he, <laughs> you know, and and he's he's actually quite a mysterious guy. So oh. he doesn't talk about things like that. He's James Bond. <laughs> J James Bond. If James Bond was <clears throat> really stupid, <laughs> a mongrel accent and pink hair. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> man well, of mystery. If you want to find about Peter, you want to find about Parker King? Parker D. Parker D. Or Parker or D. King. Say, yeah. The Parker, the king of all the Parker D's. King, yeah. His pinkness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know where to get pinked up. <laughs> pinked up, get pinked up. <laughs> you know mm. where to go. Hope you guys have enjoyed the episode. I'll see you next episode. Peter, hopefully I see you soon. <laughs> be great thanks marvin lovely podcast thanks very much for this